The Olympic Channel podcast is brought to you by Bridgestone, worldwide Olympic and Paralympic partner, a founding partner of the Olympic Channel. Olympic Channel podcast. My name is Ed Knowles and this is the official Olympic Channel podcast. Run away. Anita Ashante is a footballer from London who played in her home Olympics in 2012 for Great Britain. She was part of the all-conquering Arsenal side that put women's football on the map in the UK, including winning four trophies in one season in 2007. She's played in the US and Sweden, actually meeting US President Barack Obama in her time in the USA. Anita isn't just a footballer. She's done work for organisations like Amnesty International UK, and show racism the red card. Plus, she's an engaged, outspoken member in the LGBTQ plus community. At the moment, she's signed to Aston Villa, who have literally had a few games postponed on the day that we're recording this because of COVID-19 concerns. So, Anita, how are you? Are you okay? Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm good, obviously. Um, I can't go into all of that too much with the club, but yeah, it's just unforeseen circumstances um that we know all of us in in the, the world sort of are um have the ability to be exposed to and unfortunately that meant that you know we have to take precautions and um postpone some games coming up yeah i appreciate you can't speak much about it but like wow what a thing to go through mid-season hard work it was nice to get the season up and going again um after the lockdown obviously everyone's had a long time away from the game and it was like everybody's been raring to go we just started to get into a rhythm of, of matches and all that sort of thing and full training so yeah it's a disappointing that we're in this position but you know everything I think sometimes just happens for a reason and hopefully going into the future and the future fixtures coming up will be even better prepared and, you know, all the protocols that we've been having in place for COVID um, will be even tighter in, to some degree and, you know, more rigid and we can avoid some of these um, to the circumstances. It's, like, it's an interesting time for women's football because on the one hand, there are some true stars. If Megan Rapino does something, they will report on it. If Alex Morgan does something people will report on it, which is amazing. That is amazing now. It's a huge step forward. Uh, but at the same time, I can't help but feel this is going to be a real difficult time for money for the women's game, especially in the UK. I actually feel like it's been more positive, actually, than negative. I think the worry was ahead of COVID and during COVID that women's football would be negatively affected in a, in a vast way. But I think it's been a chance also to allow organisations like the FA, Premier League and maybe other organisations within football to really reassess the structure of the game and, and money and competitions and competition money as well and things like that and, and try to look at the disparities and where they can start, maybe boost it up a little bit in one area and, and you know, level it out in others. Um, but at, le at least it's definitely posed a lot of questions in general about the economy of the game as a whole, you know, regardless, women and men's. Um, and for the women's, I think that, to be fair, the, the, the top clubs in the WSL1, at least, have made a commitment. So that commitment is not something that they can just rip up and throw away on a whim or just because we've hit one 
obstacle at the moment, which is affecting every industry, actually, and affecting everybody's lives. So, you know, if they've made a commitment, they've said for four or five years, this is the support we're giving to this team for whatever, you know, financially, um, they've largely stuck to that, you know, including in, including testing and things like that. So for me, that's a positive sign because it shows that they're, they're, they're committed. It's not, you know, something they're just happy to step in and walk away in a, in a second. And, and actually, you're, like you mentioned, the influx of top foreign players shows, again, the want for people to be part of the best league in the world, arguably, and that, you know, this is it, WSL right now is probably the most competitive, most attractive league to be in. As a stakeholder, you know, a sponsor, the club organisations, all of that, that's a positive sign for them because there's a visible interest, which means that they're more likely, I think, to keep investing into the future, you know, however long, you know, in terms of amounts and things that might vary over the years, but it shows that, you know what, well, there is a product there that people are buying into. And I think they see that. And that's why it's allowed for this kind of season to be very exciting, despite all odds. I mean, you know, I think fans would be dying to get into the stadium to be able to see the likes of, I guess, Alex Morgan and, you know, um, um, Kristen Press and Tobin Heath and these types of players, along with the quality we've already had in the league. These players wanted to come because they heard the league was exciting because of the Aaron Cuthberts and Frank Kirby's. So it, it works hand in hand. So for me, I'm actually, I feel like I have a, quite a positive outlook at the, the framework and trajectory um, of where the, the game is going. And obviously being in Aston Villa, which is a newly promoted side, I think I can be, I can speak from that end and say that's positive still. They've just come into this league knowing it's going to be extremely challenging with the level of um, competition, but the commitment is there. It's there in the infrastructure, the resources and, and the commitment to the players. And, and that's the most important thing. So as long as our fans stick with it, stick with the, the teams, the clubs, hopefully we'll all come out COVID better and everyone itching just to get back bums in seats in stadiums again. Oh, you went to school in London and I think it was in high school or secondary school, as we call it in the UK, that you started playing football. So how was growing up in London? I grew up in northwest London uh, in Edgware Town and um, I grew up on an estate around there called Stone Grove. And, um, you know, like I've always had the, the best memories of growing up, really, as a kid in that area and I've made a lot of good friends that I'm still, you know, loosely in touch with today, um, just from playing football, literally in the back, you know, in, in the green behind my flat or in the courts is what we used to, the cage, in fact, is what we used to call it. Um, that was a space that I felt confident in and could really be myself and express myself. And the guys that I play with, like they largely, they accepted me do you know what I mean? As part of their group and stuff. So it was never an issue, do you know, to the point that they're knocking for me to come out and play football. That's kind of the relationship and dynamic we had growing up. And yeah, there were moments, you know, as I was growing up and there was older kids around, you know, to get in the cage, you had to be good. <laughs> Basically, you had to be, and I mean, good, when I say good, not just on, on the ball, but just like, 
you've got to come in with that belief and that confidence for them to accept you in that space um, and even to be like able to play with them and stuff like that. So that's kind of how it was. And, you know, no one took it easy on me either, which I think was a good thing in a sense, because that's what kind of brings out that competitiveness as well. And I remember, the, I remember joining a boys club on my, on my like, um, in my area, it was a, at a secondary school that was right next door to me. And one of the boys, he went to my secondary school as well. And his dad was one of the coaches. And um, in this particular session, I just was having a lot of joy that session, you could say. And he just was coming for me, like every, situ every situation, like just wanted to wipe me out. And you could feel that it was getting like feisty, you know, to, to the point that his dad had to like pull him and be like, yo, take it down a notch. <laughs> it was like that. But for me, I kind of was like, yes, like I kind of throw, like thrived in those moments because I was like, yeah, it just means that I'm here. Like I'm establishing myself within this group that I'm good enough. And it's, you know, rattling some people. Was there a moment then in particular where you thought, you know what? I, I'm I'm really good. I I I might be able to make this into something bigger. Or was there a scout? Or did, was there a moment where you thought, yeah, I I might be able to take this for forward? Like when I was at my secondary school, you know, I feel very fortunate that I had a very pushy head of PE, <laughs> and um, those days, you know, f we had fax messages that came through, and they got a fax about a local tryout and I went to it and it was being hosted by Arsenal, uh, like the center of excellence. And to be honest, in that occasion, I didn't take it that seriously. I thought, yeah, whatever. It's, it's no big deal. I didn't know much about women's football. I was like, it's just a kick about, have some fun, leave, go home, roll on the next day type thing. But then they asked me back and they asked me to come to their center of excellence in Hackney and, and join one of their youth team training sessions. Um, so I went along and after that session, they were like, we want you to, to join our team, like join our club. Here's a, you know, we got a contract. We want you to sign it. Everything. I was there with my dad and my dad's a massive Arsenal fan. So, I mean, he's buzzing, you know, like <laughs> it was like the perfect match because, you know, he was all behind it. And, um, I think that's the moment that I was like, okay, you know, maybe I have some talent. Do you know what I mean? Like they've seen something in me and this is a great kind of opportunity to be part of a team. And of course they kept winning. All I remember about that period is just like, oh, Arsenal, like women's team is like literally, we, we, they just win, like by, usually by a lot. Yeah, definitely. I think I walked into something that was successful, had pre-existed my time and I learned more and more about the club and players, you know, that have been part of the club whilst I was there, like a whole history that was unknown to me because of the lack of visibility in general of the women's game and profiles and things like that. So to get there and be around winners and people that were so passionate, determined, kind of pushed me as well because I wanted to get to the next level. Like, you know, I was a youth player playing at Denver Reserves and it was like, okay, I want to make it into the first team. I've got to push like in the sessions, I've got to show what I'm about and, you know, I had that support. But I think the great thing as well, the club at the time was quite successful, even in the men's club. So it was a whole club feeling of, of success, if you like, and, and playing style. And I think it was something that kind of translated from 
you know, the men's team all the way down into our youth teams and, and also our senior women's teams and, and within our structures. So everyone was sort of buying into one one collective brand, if you like, of football itself. But yeah, the whole ethos around success as well. Three kicks to Great Britain. They've all missed it and it's tucked in. I mean, that is pretty amazing to have a career that starts off with the club that your dad supports and then like pretty nailed on to be going to the Olympics, which are, by the way, you know, hosted in and around like your home city. It was an incredible experience. I think um, just nothing can prepare you for that kind of occasion and how big it is really. And, and that sort of like, wow, factor feeling when you play in a stadium like in Cardiff and then, you know, when we were down here and at Wembley and things like that, just, you know, stuff that we used to play the game in, you know, back in the cage called Wembley, <laughs> you know, so to, to actually have gotten to a position where I was representing our country and playing there was just incredible for, in front of our home support and my friends and family um, and to kick off the tournament was something I could have never really envisioned before. And I don't think, I think there's a little bit of ignorance to the fact of how big the Olympics is really. Maybe not to everyone else, but for football, I think it maybe is a little bit like that because we probably always look to European Championships and the World Cup as like the biggest football competitions. But it was only till I got there and I realised the enormity of it all and how incredible it was to sort of interact with other athletes from other disciplines and you never get that feeling you'll never you'll never be replicated anywhere else in any other kind of tournament either um and I had American teammates you know from my past that would say to me like for them the Olympics is the the greatest competition you can ever participate in and I'd be like what what really nah <laughs> and then you know I got there and I was like no nah, they're right they're absolutely right like they're absolutely right and I, I, I totally um yeah incredible experience never thought we'd have a football team at an olympics even better icing on the cake to have it in london in front of our home support and like i said our friends and family and all the people that have sort of especially for myself helped me get into this position that i am now as an elite athlete so yeah i think we've pretty much established that career wise you know things are going well good footballer but I was surprised to hear that um when all this was going on uh you weren't out to your parents um especially when you've got like such a deep relationship it appears with your dad anyway you know how was that yeah it was a challenge all the way you know through my life to some degree I think there's lots of people that probably can relate and you know yourself you know who you are you know like you want to be as authentic as you can be and share parts of yourself and your private life with people closest to you and those none more, you know, closer than, than your family, your parents, your siblings. Um, and I had a difficult time to, to, to be open with that, I guess, and address it because I, like everyone else, got caught up in the the head spin of, over, you know, thinking about things, how will people react, how will your family members react um, what does culture, society and gender norms tell you about how people often are received in the past in those times? And I do think there have been improvements in general related to this issue, 
because it's more widely discussed. There are more visible role models, perhaps, you know, it, it's becoming part of part of society in a way that at the time I wasn't 100% comfortable to, to address it. But when I did, I definitely felt like a big weight or burden had been lifted off my shoulders. And like he said, I have a really strong relationship with my parents and in particular my dad. You know, we've largely bonded through football. And his first comment to me was just that, I'm disappointed you didn't tell me first. So, you know, that basically just confirmed and, and totally sort of washed away all these fears that I may have had about, um, the you know, how my parents would receive this news. Um, and that, you know, I, that I have the support of them and that they see me for, for me, which is the most important thing. And yeah, you know, um, I, I feel very fortunate that that was my story and it was a positive one in the end. But I think now, of course, it's important that I talk about it because I think there's probably a lot of girls and guys from my background culturally and things like that that may struggle with this issue too. It's so awkward talking to parents about this kind of stuff. Well, I guess you've just got to do it at some point, right? Yeah, I mean, it's the same awkwardness, I suppose, like taking your first girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, home to your parents and them sort of like wanting to ask you questions, but not sure if they're, it, depending on how awkward your parents are too about a subject. So it's that whole feeling of like, no one really wanting to deal with it because they just find it like uncomfortable. But like, no, you're going to have to at some point if you're going to like sort of be part of each other's lives and interactions ultimately um, for the future. Like I'd be really scared about it if it was my dad because I'd worry about how he would react. I know that he'd be fine in the long term, but his reaction to everything is kind of like, you know? like really loud and and like real and emotional so yeah how was that what what you were worried about or like your the reaction or yeah I was rea um worried about that because you know um I feel like you know I was much close as I would say I was very close to my dad just because of our bond through football and so a lot of things I felt like we talk about all the time compared to my mum even though, you know, she's largely the kind of disciplinarian in our family and keeps us on <laughs> straight and narrow and, you know, kind of like, but in a good way, like always try to encourage us to do the things we wanted to do. Um, but then I think when it all came out and my, my myself and my mum had this conversation, you know, initially she was silent, like she was dead silent. Like it, there was no words coming out. There was no like... Instant, it's so hectic. Yeah, reaction, which is kind of like, I don't know if that's good or worse. Like, I just was like, oh my God, like, we're both frozen in this moment and no one knows how to, like, take this forward, this conversation. So, um, yeah, it was a little bit awkward. But I think, like you say, I feel like with everything, it just takes time. And, like, you know, people um, getting over that emotional element of, like, whatever it is they build up in their heads. You know, for me, it was like, my mom's probably gonna think about marriage and kids and all these things. And it's not to say that that can't happen for me, but it's the gender norms that place people in their view of the world and, and, and the kind of journeys that they expect their um, children to take or whatever that create these uh, largely, you know, negative opinions of what it is to be 
uh, part of the LGBTQ com- community. And, um, you know, it doesn't take away from who I am as a person, you know, like I'm not going around questioning people's sexuality or who they go home with or whatever. Like that's, in my opinion, none of my business, you know, but if, if you're a good person and we work well together or we have a good friendship, like that's the basis of human interaction. Do you know what I mean? And all the rest of it is shared among people you really trust and respect you and you likewise I respect. More from Anita in just a second, but we talked to Ali Krieger and Ashlyn Harris from the US soccer women's national team about this kind of thing earlier this year. Here's Ashlyn. Being visible so children didn't have to feel like they had to hide or that they were not normal or different and that wasn't okay. And if it's hard for me at 32 at the time, 33, Mm -hmm. fearful I was gonna lose everything and I have the world at my fingertips. Imagine like a child feeling that pain Mm -hmm. and not having the understanding. Like it had to stop for us. Mm -hmm. We had, then it became just a driving force of visibility Mm -hmm. that we were gonna make this happen and we were gonna open a lot of people's eyes and we were gonna have a lot of hard conversation and I didn't originally want to get married um, I didn't she knew I mean, this we, yeah we yeah, both we kind of were hesitant yeah, about even the doing, idea of marriage yeah you know so but it's just like the whole the bigger picture and the power it had on not only like other people but us I just mm-hmm. felt like for once we were able to just be ourselves and mm-hmm. live our truth Olympic Channel podcast I loved putting that episode together I've put a link in the episode description for that but let's go back to Anita and I wanted to ask her about coach Landon Donovan so one of his players at San Diego loyal Colin Martin he's the only out gay player in US professional men's soccer someone said something homophobic to him during a game Donovan backed his players after they refused to play the second half of a game that a they were winning but b if they forfeited by refusing to play that would mean that they definitely wouldn't make the playoffs yeah, I thought it was uh, powerful. I thought it was amazing to see um, an ex-pro, well-renowned pro as well, like Landon Donovan in this managerial role, try to lead by example and address the situation there and then with complete confidence that he's right and he was right. Um, and it takes courage to uh, approach and address <laughs> bigotry in the way that he did. Um, and obviously the victim in it, the player, like to know that he is supported must have felt hopefully really good for him. His teammates rallied around him. His coach has got his back. And and that's really the kind of examples we want to see in the game as a whole is that, you know, you can't contest that and what how powerful that is to see and hear. Even for us watching it virally was like, wow, yeah, someone's taken a step. And that's what true allyship looks like in my opinion, is is that action uh, of which he took, to be honest. And I think we need to see more of that in general in society, calling out all forms of kinds of discrimination, because that's the only way, in my opinion, we really will create these cultural shifts in behaviour and things like that. What blew me away about that was that it was one of those moments where 
I hope I react like that. You know, you know, like I hope I have the bravery to to see as clear as he did in that moment because it's all well and good being on the internet in the morning with your cup of coffee going good on Landon Donovan because he did the right thing in the right moment. Fair play to him for for like being able to see clearly in the moment, I think. And it makes it easier, I think, for other people to follow. Like it's hard to be the first person to say, right, we're off. But it takes one person to start a movement. Do you know what I mean? Literally. And and that's what what he did has potential to do. Because if anyone in that league or in his team encounters a situation like that, again, they probably wouldn't hesitate to walk off, stop the game, address the referee, address the coach, whatever it is, to actually take action and not be silent in those moments. So for me that that's 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 brilliant. That's that's how, you know, we all learn as well from other people's experiences and how they deal with situations. Mm. You're almost given like a framework for, you know, like how to react. Anyway, I wanted to talk to you about your globe trotting career. You've lived in some pretty amazing places like Chicago and Sweden. So uh, I know you can't like pick a favourite, but what were some highlights? Yeah, to be honest, um, obviously I, I went to New Jersey first and like I have a very fond place, you know, I used to call it the Dirty Jers. Um, there, you know, just for the connections and the bonds that I had over time with my teammates and their families and friends and things like that. Um, and obviously winning the championship there in my first season was incredible. So, you know, I, I always have... Jersey is like up there as one of the places, but Chicago, I, I'm always banging on to my friends and stuff. Like you've got to go there in the summer. It's incredible. Like just the people, you know, the diversity, the the open space and like, you know, lots of activity there, especially if you're in the city, um, was incredible. So I, I had a very positive experience, I think, my time there during the summer. I mean, I'm not sure about the winter. I might avoid the winters there because I've heard... <laughs> there's a not to be desired but um definitely an incredible city and you know Obama city so even better you know when we won the championship with sky blue we actually got invited to the white house and met barack obama so like you know that was wild like incredible experience and definitely one of those ones that i, I hold up there wow that is that is big part of history that you've did you have, did you speak to, do you get the chance to speak to him or was it all a bit like busy? Yeah, it was a bit like, you know, controlled and all that stuff. But he, he addressed the team and he, he spoke to our like organisation and our captain and stuff. And he, he was really like a very charming person, as I'm sure a lot of people have said before, and very engaging and very interesting uh, to listen to and what he would say to us about our, our season and our team and that type of thing. And I just think, you know, it was just such a positive time in the US, I guess, at the time with, with um, them in the White House and everything that, yeah, again, I could have never written that on the cards that that would be part of my journey, you know, to like meet the president of America and all of that. But <laughs> like, you know, it's just, yeah, when you when you reflect anything about these things, it's like an incredible experience. 
Right, let's end with a bit of fun. I have dug out some football quotes, some of which are from your old teammate from Chicago, and World Cup winning captain for the USA, Megan Rapino. So all I need to know is, did Pino say this thing or not? Challenge time. This is the first one. We deserve this parade. We deserve all the champagne that people are giving us. We deserve all this shine. We've worked very hard for it. Yeah, Megan. I mean, that was an easy one. <laughs> 100%. Okay, some people think football is a matter of life and death. I don't like that attitude. I can assure them it's much more serious than that. Nah, not Megan. No, that is my hero, Bill Shankly. Right, hang on, a minute. Here's, here's one, another one of my favorites. If I wanted you to understand it, I would have explained it better. Not Megan. That's Johan Cruyff. Okay. I feel like I know my worth and I know my value, or at least what I think it is. Yeah, Pino. Yeah. One trophy is good, but two trophies are better. Yeah, definitely Megan. Now that's Johan Cruyff. Get it. And my final one, you can't win a championship without gays on your team. Oh, Megan Rapino. <laughs> that is the quote, that is the best quote ever. Oh man, I've had such a nice time. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It's been great. Olympic, Olympic Channel, Channel podcast. Massive thanks to Anita. She's nice neat with a Z on Twitter. I am Eddie Knowles with an I and an E. And we are Olympic Channel on all socials. All right then, that's it for now. Stay safe, stay stronger together, and we'll see you very soon. Think, Think like an Olympian. Olympian.